I was talking with my dad recently about a friend of his, his uh, where he lives, and um, recently this person slipped into the arms of Jesus. But one of the caregivers was with that man the night he left this life. Um, and the man was not a believer in Jesus that night. But the caregiver is a Jesus lover. He knows Jesus personally. He's with my dad on a regular basis. And uh, he told with, um, he's, he's walked with Jesus a long time, but he, he told a story to my dad that is over the moon joyful in being able to share with a worried soul, a man that did not settle the issue with Jesus until the very last uh, pitch of the last inning of his life. And he said nothing more than Luke 18 says, God have mercy on me, the sinner. And he's home with Jesus. He left this life and entered eternity in the presence of God. Y'all, just take that wherever you need to take it. I got chills everywhere uh, telling you that right now. But it's really important uh, truth that God wants all to be saved and none to perish. So knowing that, it applies. I don't know. There's nothing in the Bible that says, yeah, but there's limits. Not really. Uh, none that I've read about. Okay? So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, something for us to hold on to. Um, so heaven is truly the place where uh, we can call home, and it's the, it'll be the home of all repentant sinners um, because of the one who sacrificed his life to pay the penalty for the sins of people like that man I told you about and like me and everyone in between. It's true. Um, so we just sang a song that I just want to come back to. Uh, it's the hymn of heaven. I think it's an outstanding uh, label for that song. But it's more than a song. It's a statement of truth, isn't it? And uh, maybe next time. Today, uh, I should have told you earlier, we, uh, we, we came in to find out that um, we have a uh, um, projection unit. Yeah, the bulb went out. And... Um, they're not a light bulb like normal light bulbs. You have to get a loan at the bank first. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we didn't know it till this morning, but you, you rallied. You guys were great. Some of you just watched Krista and the team just lead us in worship and just closed your eyes, and that's great. You at home, there's no problem. You got to see everything and, and worship right along. I'm getting looks from people going, okay, I'm going to do this from home from now on. But here's the other thing. Most of you sat down where there's lyric sheets. Uh, you'll need those later in the service, so hold on to them. And uh, I just got to point this out. My dad's here this morning, and it's always a thrill for me. But I won't have you stand, Dad, but some of you are going to come and greet him afterwards. And please notice that Father and Son are wearing exactly the same shirt today. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Okay? I don't know if you can hear my dad say, but I'm better looking with that shirt on, is, is what he's referring to. Um, so back to the song, because we were singing right there, and you were too. Uh, to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets, I'll take anything but the streets we're living in today. 
And, and yet heaven has these mercy-filled streets. To look upon the one who bled to save you, to walk with him for all of eternity. What great words. I, I long for that. And then, and then it goes on, where all will bow before him when death will be no more. You just need to read Isaiah 25 and Revelation uh, 21, and you will see that is true. Why would Jesus say, in addition to all the cool things he says about heaven, why would he say, and there won't be any tears or crying or mourning or grief or any of that crud, because it's not part of his plan. Amen? That's something that gets me riled and excited about what's to come, where we will all see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. Amen. So until that day, and I don't know when that day will be for me, I can't predict it for you or for us, but until that day, we've been called to play a part in uh, God's program uh, to be his witnesses, okay? Just think of that. If you're writing down notes, write that down. What's, what part do I play as his witness. Because at the beginning of his study in Acts, and we're going through all 28 chapters in this series. We're only at chapter 8, so we're just kind of getting started. But chapter 1, verse 8, the last words Jesus spoke when a crowd of people not only, not only heard these words, but saw him as he was ascending being lifted back up to return home to heaven and be at the right hand of the Father. He said these words, you will receive power. Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, comes upon you, for what purpose? Super strong people? No, to be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. You're going to receive power. Put your name there, Steve McCracken. You will receive power. Put your name there. Judy, Jim, Larry, Blake, Carla. You put your name there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for this purpose, to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the rest of the world. The, it, the, the utmost ends of the earth. So guess what? That was Acts 1.8. Chapter 2, you know what happened? We've already been there deeply. The Holy Spirit did come. He really did come, and he came upon every single person that believed in Jesus and made good on that promise. He lives inside, lived inside them and lives inside us. And then for the next four chapters... This first church, uh, first leaders of this church, followers of Jesus, um, went everywhere. They, they, to everybody in town. There was not a person, I dare say, in Jerusalem in that day that didn't get it. Now, doesn't mean they all responded. Certainly many didn't. But the, but, but the city was rocked. By the Holy Spirit and by the message that went out by those now filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, that led to the first 
I wish I could say it was the only wave, but uh, the first of many waves of persecution signaled by the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, the first one uh, killed for his faith in Jesus. That's, that's, a, that's a tragic story, and uh, we covered that in detail as well in chapter 7. And then something happened that you would expect. When news spread that Stephen had been stoned to death, all you have to do is let me stop talking and imagine if that news spread today. So-and-so was stoned to death for believing in Jesus. And as I said earlier, it, uh, the Sunday we studied that, it's, it was open season. It was hunting season for Christians. So understandably, chapter 8 begins that Christians scattered. We're told a couple of different times. They ran for their lives. You would expect that, right? Show me your hand. Isn't that kind of what you do? Right? But something that you wouldn't expect is that they ran, but, but not scared silent. In other words, they didn't go underground. They didn't fear Fear that their words would be overheard and therefore they went silent. No, not that at all. Um, they told every, everyone they met as they scattered. Everywhere they went as they scattered. They told about Jesus. Probably have never heard the name Tertullian. He was an early century theologian. And I think his words were absolutely correct. He described martyred Christians this way. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So though persecution attempted to stamp out the church, it actually accomplished just the opposite. The blood of the martyrs became the seed that was scattered in the wind taken far and wide. We're going to kill this movement when it's young, so it's not that big a challenge later, was the thinking. Kill Stephen, they'll all scatter. Problem solved. Not so fast. They scattered for sure, but so did the gospel with them. Beyond Jerusalem, to, as Jesus said in Acts 1-8, to Judea, the surrounding county, if you will, the region, and then on into Samaria. Uh, we noted that last week. We left off there last week. Um, my Bible's open to Acts chapter 8. We'll nearly finish the chapter today. But <clears throat> if you haven't opened to that passage, Acts chapter 8, where we left off, L last week Philip was... Um, was a, uh, a, one of the many that scattered. And he went to Samaria. He went north to Samaria. Uh, he was, he was uh, I, wanna, I want you to think of him as a gospel seed spreader. So he's in Jerusalem. His buddy, Stephen, has been killed. And he takes off. And the Holy Spirit led him spreading seed of the gospel. I uh, like to have the nicest looking yard in town, certainly in my neighborhood. So what am I doing here? 
I'm spreading, I have a, a Scott's uh, seed spreader, right? Uh, most people my age get one that they can push behind because it's hard, but I grab it with one hand and crank it. And I'm spreading seed as far as it'll go. And if you drive by our house, you will see it isn't working. It's full of weeds. No, I'm just kidding you. It, it really is, okay? And that's what Philip is when he arrives picking up with these words in chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the message, uh, the Messiah message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid attention to what he said for with shrieks impure spirits you and I use the word demons correctly came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed that means people that couldn't stand on their own were suddenly healed no wonder verse 8 is there so there was great joy in that city people were going nuts this is too cool. Samaria? And then Luke introduces in his narrative a certain somebody that was a citizen of Samaria. Remember, Philip comes, spreading the gospel, and Luke now wants us to know about a citizen that most everybody knew about in Samaria. His name was Simon, and he was rather renowned. Uh, renowned's a word for everybody knew him. And I think you're going to read why right now. So look back with me at the text, verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city of Samaria, and he, made, he amazed all of the people there. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed. They agreed with him. This man is is rightly called the great power of God. My Bible has all of that in capital letters. They followed him because he, he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the people in the city, look what it says, were baptized, both men and women. And notice verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So let's stop for a second and get a hold of Simon. Okay, We're told he's a sorcerer. And for many years, he wowed people with, uh, let's call it black magic. It was more than just little sleight-of-hand tricks. He was a person that probably had tapped into some measure of darkness. Um, I could go into speculation, but let's just say it's, it wasn't an entertaining um, you know, sort of magic show that um, you know, I've actually done those to, to explain the gospel. And all they are is tricks. It was more than that. But it left people amazed. And you can kind of predict this. It left him sucking in his chest going, or sticking out his chest going, I'm a bad dude. I got game. Look at all these people trying to get a close-up look at the man. It's heady stuff. He was, 
He was the guy that wanted people to know. They, they said so themselves. He's a big person. He's a significant person who boasted that he was someone great. And he didn't correct them at all. Um, let me stop and say this is a problem. Even if you're a casual reader, um, this is folly on Simon's part. He knew he was a man, but he welcomed the accolade. No, no, you're, you're sort of a god. Uh, similar to the folly of King Herod Agrippa I, name sound familiar? He was responsible for uh, killing James, half-brother of Jesus, right? So not a good guy. Um, but Herod Agrippa, we're going to get to his story in chapter 12. Just listen to this scene because you remember it if you've read any further in Acts. The people gave Herod a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a god, small g. It's the voice of a god, not of man. Instantly. An angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's praise and worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he, at that moment, was consumed with worms and died. I mean, the only people that, go, that give a reaction right now, your look tells me that wasn't a pleasant sight to imagine. Kids are like, oh, whoa. Can we see footage? Is it on YouTube? You know, that kind of thing. It really did happen. By the way, this is um, this Herod, Agrippa. Guess who, guess who put in his letter these words? Um, uh, God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it is written, he is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know where those words are found? James chapter 4, verse 6. Could there be a connection? Herod had him killed. Could it be that James was the one that said, hey, God is opposed to that kind of stuff. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes pride and proud people wherever he finds them. In contrast, you want a wonderful picture we'll get to also in a couple of weeks. Picture Peter with uh, Cornelius. We're gonna, you're going to love Cornelius when we get there. He was a Roman officer, and he had, uh, as soon as Peter walked into his place, he fell to the ground in front of this apostle. And, and Peter was not a swag dude. He was not the guy going, I'm a man, I'm the big deal. But this Cornelius fell down, and literally the Bible says in chapter 10 of Acts that he started to worship him. And Peter says, stop, stop, don't do that. I'm just a man. I'm just like you. We would say, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you. Don't get carried away. And, and, and I have a great statement I want you to memorize, okay? So... Because I, I did years ago. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. So take, take a pen right now and write it down someplace because I'm going to ask you about it in the future. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. While you're looking for that, and here's the reason why I want you to tuck this way. You know, Psalm 119 says, How can young man or woman keep their way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
So here's one to hide in your heart, okay? So 1 Corinthians 4 is in the Bible because we live in a world that tends to make many gods out of all kinds of people. Uh, We do it out of singers. We do it out of actors. We make bigger-than-life stories out of politicians, and the list goes on. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is a great antidote to that. It asks the question, who made you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you act as though you didn't? Let me say it again. It's a who, what, and why. Who are you? Right? So here, here, here it starts this way. Who made you different than anybody else? What's the answer to that? If you are different, let's say you have a lot of talent. Let's say you're a pro basketball player. Who made you different? God. I know we're told they've tried harder. Okay, for sure. I tried hard, and, and it didn't work. I mean, I was a good ball player. Never mind. Okay, so here's the deal. Who made you different from anybody else? God. So what do you have then, he says, this is the what. What do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer to that? Nothing. I got nothing. Then he asked the next logical question. Then, then if you did receive it, why do you act as though you didn't? See, that's the problem with pride. Um, so with that kind of understanding of his purpose, Philip preaches. And um, <clears throat> he preaches about the true source of power that he came with to change lives. And he reaches out to these people, and they respond wonderfully. Verse 12 said they believed, and they were baptized. See it? Um, And even Simon, uh, Luke is making a point here. The way the language rolls out is that Luke is saying the people believed in what Philip had to say, and Simon did too. That's what he's saying here. Okay, So there's a sense of he's calling out an individual that you're not expecting to hear in the list of saved souls. You with me? So he's saying that, and but I want to read verse 13, the second half again, and see if you don't... Everybody take a deep breath right now. Ready? One, two, three. See if you don't catch a scent of trouble in verse 13. Simon himself was believed, believed and was baptized, but notice what how the verse ends. He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. We'll come back to the trouble in a moment. But first, let's take in a, what, what is really in the text here, a surprise visit by two stalwart apostles, Peter and John, who are sent Um, to see firsthand the news out of Samaria. Peter and John, with the other apostles, were the only ones left in Jerusalem when everybody scattered. They were there, and word had traveled back, you won't believe this, 
guess what's going on in Samaria? And the church leadership sent Peter and John north to Samaria to check, check it out and return with a report. So verse 14 tells us about this surprise visit. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John there. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me frame for you the question that's on your mind. It's a question that's been talked about forever. I don't have the definitive answer, but I think I got a good one, okay? So what we have here is people in Samaria that got saved, but not spirit-filled. You hear it in my voice, huh? Saved, but not spirit-filled. Okay, a cloud, let me give you a little background to help you understand wh what could really be going on here with Peter and John. So a long history of suspicion had hung over Samaria up to the north. It's a fascinating story, and it dates back centuries. It, in fact, goes all the way back to when the kingdom was united and finally divided after Solomon had handed the reins over to Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Those two, at that point in time, 930 B.C., the kingdom split. There was now two nations. We call it Israel. There was Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Judah was simply two, two uh, tribes, Dan, er, uh, Benjamin, and Judah. That was it. Nothing else. Okay? So at this point, there's a, um, there's a split that went so far as to say, if you lived in the north, you know what? We don't really need to go to Jerusalem to worship God. In fact, we're going to build a temple up here. And they did. They built a temple up in Samaria, Shechem. And they, uh, Mount Gerizim is the location, and they would worship God there. You can see there's division, and it built and built. And the dislike built and built. They were eventually, Israel to the north, conquered 200 years later by Assyria. And they were deported. Now, don't, don't, don't let me lose you. When Assyria came in, they conquered them, and they deported them. And when they were deported, they met people in these foreign lands that they were sent to and married them. And they created a divided race. Not just Jews. Now these were Jews who were marrying, actually, Gentiles in Assyria and elsewhere. Meanwhile, the view of Samaritans by those in the south continued to become condescending to the core. That's why way back, when you go back to the Gospels, read again Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan. You read that story, and if you're not shocked, you need to read it again, because, it's, because the people there went, you're going to stop. And First of all, the woman that he met in John 4 said, Jews don't like us. You guys stay away from us. What are you doing here? And a a bunch of this animosity spills over there. It was described this way by one observer, I quote, it would be no exaggeration to say that Jews hated Samaritans. 
as idolatrous half-breeds, ethnically polluted, religiously confused, and morally debased. This prejudice ran deep, end quote. You getting the idea? So, remember though, God's heart is for the religious and the irreligious. God's heart is not bound by labels or locations. The Bible tells us God loves the whole world, right? So because that's true, when news traveled to Jerusalem and you're one of the leaders of this church and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're going, what? How could that be happening in Samaria? And, um, and so they send you and, um, and you discover for yourself, Samaritans, in fact, lots of them had believed, but they're missing something. The Holy Spirit, verses 15 to 17, we just read it. So our salvation and filling with the Holy Spirit, separate events. My answer would be no, not normally. Not normally. This is a, an exception. Pentecost, which happened in chapter 2, we've talked about that this morning, was the watershed moment that introduced normal when it comes to salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, if we had more time, you could read, read it on your own. It's, it's just chapter 2. You can see, no, we do have time. I'm not going to rush myself. Back up the bus for a sec. Chapter 2, look at verse 38. This is Peter standing there taking it all in, going, wow, the Holy Spirit just came. What's going on here? He was, it was new to him too. And he says this to the whole crowd. Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are in Tigard, Oregon. You see that? It's in my Bible. It should be in yours. Let me stop and have you put it there. All who are in your family. All who are in... Your circle, your friendships, your neighborhood. It's for all who are, he uses the word far off, not only geographically, but spiritually. They're goners. For all whom the Lord there, our God, will call. You see that? So here in Samaria... Uh, through the first church leaders, Peter and John, it doesn't get more basic than that. They walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell through them on the saved Samaritans, and it did two things. It confirmed their salvation, because now they had the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, it affirmed the authority down south of the church of Peter and John and the apostles. It was a brilliant move of the Holy Spirit to require them to go there, lay hands on them, 
see the Holy Spirit come upon them. The Apostle Paul would go on to say the very same thing describing normal this way in Ephesians chapter 1. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Listen to this. When you believe, this is normal now, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Is that cool or what? When you believed. Uh, it takes me back to a trip. I was on a bus uh, on our way to um, where Jesus grew up. Nazareth. Yeah. It should be a little closer on my tongue, right? So we were in Israel. Not this last recent trip, but many, many years ago. And I was young in my ministry, and I'm, I'm there with a group of uh, 100 pastors from North America that were invited by Israel. They were hoping we would kind of stir the tourism pot when we got back home. And I came from a big church and they made that connection. So anyway, we're there and I'm meeting other pastors and on the bus you have time going from location to location. And the guy sitting next to me says, so, so tell me, when, do you, when did you get saved? And, um, and I, I told him the date and uh, I was in, in middle school and um, he says, so, wow, that's a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah, shut up to you, too. You know? uh, no, I, I was young. Um, but he says, uh, so when did, you get, when did you get filled with the Holy Spirit? And I repeated the same day. And his, his head almost came off his shoulders. And, and he, he was like, no, that, that, there's no way. What do you mean? Because he was from the mindset that said you get saved... And then at some point along the way, you get either slain or something happens that allows the Holy Spirit or makes the Holy Spirit or somehow you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Not good theology. Are there exceptions? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to encounter a couple more in Acts. But at that moment, it was like we had a great conversation, a further conversation. I did not convince him for the record, um, but he didn't convince me either. And, you know, we weren't divided. It was just like, wow, we've got more to learn on this. And, and um, I've, I've lost touch with him. But anyway, it's a true point of reference that makes this relevant to me. And hopefully it does to you. Uh, let me go back quickly to the hint of trouble. Remember that? Uh, you thinking about it in um, verse 13. Uh, let me just read it again because it's, it's important to kind of know where the trouble came from. Um, it was <clears throat> it was Philip um, sharing the gospel, and um, Simon is saved. We're told he believed and was baptized, and then was astonished. The word is, oh. and he's like this following. Philip around. That's what the Bible says. Taking notes and being in awe. Who was Simon? Remember where he came from? It, it was trouble that finally erupts in verse 18. He watched after verse 17. We read Peter and John placing their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. So when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands on those people... He offered them money. See the problem here? 
He offered them money and said, hey, give, give, give me this power. Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. And he doesn't leave them in a pile of guilt. He says very cleanly and clearly, so repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. The Greek word here for having such a hope is not, hey, maybe it's a roll of the dice, perhaps he'll forgive you. No, for, repent so that you can have the hope that he will, in fact, forgive you. For I see that you're full, Peter says, of bitterness and captive to sin. And look at Simon shaking like a leaf. He answers and says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. This is huge. It's a huge moment. Um, the prescribed path of forgiveness for this sin of Simon is to cry out, verse 22, call out to God. First John says it more simply. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Um, and that's how it works still, people. Um, Simon, I can't stress it enough. I believe not all agree. I believe he was a believer. I believe he met Jesus. Jesus caught him like a fish and then cleaned him. Okay? There's a sequence here. And why would he need to clean him? Because he's been a sorcerer. We read it at the beginning for a long time. In other words, a, a habit of sin how many people do you know that came to Jesus, believed and was baptized, and they came to Jesus with a truckload of trouble in their lives? Do you know somebody like that? I mean, a, a, a bunch of sin, right? I don't know a person that wasn't that way. And, 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 and so naturally, some of that sin's going to surface, and it certainly does here. It happens to all of us. We, we see something in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning. You're one of them. You're going, wow, this is kind of cool stuff. I'm impressed by Jesus. I'm impressed by Jesus' people like Philip. And, I'm, and maybe you're going a step further. You're, you're watching us from someplace, and you're thinking, you know, I'm Simon, Pastor. That's me. That's okay. Simon came covered in his sin. And then he met Jesus, and he believed in Jesus, and he was baptized. And he still had this sin problem to start to get to work worked out, right? That's what so much of the Bible is about. Um, we repent of our sins, and then God begins to scrub us clean. He gives us a new heart, and then he goes, okay. I already rolled up my sleeves, but he rolls up his sleeves further and says, let's get to work. And he goes to work inside of us, changing us moment by moment. Um, I'm going to ask you, 
Let's start where the story left us. Have you today, are you here? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus? Don't, don't, don't rush past that. We're going to celebrate what that required in Jesus, giving his life. And communion will share that in just a moment. But if you, you have repented of your sin, then let me just say this. Um, you may still be in a certain measure of sin. Don't kick yourself to the curb. Don't make the mistake of saying, no, didn't, didn't work in my case, Pastor. Don't, don't do that. Um, Simon had sin in himself, and the Holy Spirit said, I, I got it. You stay willing, and I'm going to bring people into your life that are going to maybe call you out, um, maybe rebuke you. Don't push them aside. Accept it. Receive it. Learn from it. Change from it. Uh, these wonderful words. Uh, we used to have a song at Tadmore, the camp um, that so many of us love. Um, and it's a, it's a song uh, about Jesus. He was a carpenter. Remember that? And we used to sing, Jesus was a carpenter from Galilee, and he's doing a construction job inside of me. He didn't leave his job when he went away, because I can see him building in my life each day. Right? Amen? <laughs> it's on Spotify. You can, if you didn't. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a forgettable moment. Um. You know what? What's not forgettable is the scripture that that song's based on. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perfect it. Stay on the job until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I um, started this message by having you think about um, some the song that we had sang uh, just before I spoke, the hymn of heaven song. Um, and I want to I want to do that right now, in anticipation of a song that we're going to sing, because it's so vivid in describing the work that He has in us begun. Because it will be by His grace that it's fully done. Um, the song is called New Wine. You've probably heard it. You're going to get to sing it now. The worship team's going to lead us in this song. And then I'll step back up to the table um, just a little bit into the song. And I'll serve the people who will bring you communion. Um, but before all of that, listen to these words of new wine because I think they describe life for for Simon and for Steve for you in the crushing and the pressing you are making new wine in the soil I now surrender 
you are breaking new ground. So will you express uh, these words this morning in submission? So I yield to you into your careful hand. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. That's a prayer, isn't it? It should be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Let's be led in the first verse and chorus, and then we're going to bring you communion. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart in these last few moments, will you just take communion prompted by him? Lord, make new wine, even in the crushing of me. So oh. 